Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Thank you, team. Really appreciated that this morning. That was an amazing way to start service today. Uh, how's everybody doing? Good. I uh, hope you're all enjoying the weather. Uh, I am excited to see the water starting to run, and uh, I recognize that there's some geese back. And uh, if you know me, you know that summer starts for me when the the geese arrive. And then summer's over when the geese leave. That's the only way I get a summer in this part of the world, I think. So when the geese come, and they have this week, I've seen them and I've heard them, Summer has begun, and that's an awesome thing. I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about this series. We're in our second week of this Unleashed series, third week actually, I guess today, of our Unleashed series where we're letting God out of the cages that we so often put him in, if you will. And so I'm excited about that this morning because we're going to be looking at unleashing him at work which is a topic that we don't often talk about. And actually, honestly, as I was doing this message this week, it went kind of in different directions than I really had anticipated that I was thinking of even when we were planning the series way long time ago. We've got a chance this morning where we're going we're gonna to look at a theology of work, if you will, which is something that we don't often do. Um, plus, there's some parallel issues that I think that go with this so well that we get to speak into this morning on some levels that I think... Overall, it's going to be interesting. I'm also kind of excited because I've looked at this message and I don't think there's any way that I can get emotional in this one. So that will be awesome too if I can actually get through this without being emotional. So anyway, let's, let's dive in first with prayer and uh, then we'll go from there. All right. Father, this morning we stop and we come before you and uh, we just say thank you for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you are here with us. Thank you that we can know you, that we can have you as an anchor in our lives. Thank you for the way that you speak into all of our lives and you give us purpose and you give us direction. And Lord, here again today, we're going to see this in so significant a way. Uh, And so I just pray again that you would help us to know you better, that you would help us to apply what we know of you to our lives so that we can be like you, more like you day by day by day, and that as we are, that you would use us, that you would help us to share the love of your Son, the significance of Jesus with the world around us. And so I pray these things all again by way of Christ and in his name. Amen. All right. So we're looking at this whole idea about unleashing it, God at work. And if we're going to look at the idea of unleashing God at work, then I think what we need to do, first of all, is we have to consider the whole area of our identity. And that seems maybe a little bit weird, but I think it's very, very significant. They parallel significantly together. Right now in our society, this whole area of identity is hotly contested. Our identity is being 
vied for in so many different respects. We, over and over, are running into places where they're calling on us, they're asking of us to identify ourselves or find our identity at least horizontally with things around us in the world or things inside of us when in fact we should be finding our identity vertically. So instead of finding our identity in the fact that we have been created by God, first of all, and not only created by God, but created in His image, and therefore, even beyond that, that we have been created also with a purpose, with an objective by Him, which is namely to know Him and to make Him known, we try to look around and find our identity from within our own context or from what the world tells us. And that's what's going on so predominantly today, that the world is telling us over and over how you should identify, how you should find your worth, we see it in different respects. We see it as they tell us that we should find that in sexuality. Where we see them telling us that we should find our identity somehow in gender. We see the world telling us over and over that we find our identity in our causes. That I'm an, I am an environmentalist. That I am a human rights activist. That I am an animal rights activist what have you. And that's where our, ident our identity lies. And as we pursue these things, then we find value and we find worth, etc., etc. And of course, one of the primary areas that we are told that we can find our identity is in our work. Today, when we ask the question, what do you do? It's practically synonymous with who are you? And as we start to go down this path where we appropriate what we do vocationally into our identity, into our self-worth, we're off to a really bad start. We're off and we've got a problem right from the outset. Because, not the least of which, there's a number of problems with that, but most certainly there's the problem of this, that our identity is so, so completely wrapped up with our value. That our identity is wrapped up with our value. So as we pursue our identity through our vocation, we run into a challenge. As we come to the the understanding, or as we arrive at the perspective that what we do translates into who I am, and therefore how much I am worth, we run into issues, because that's all false. It's not true. What I do is not who I am, and not what I'm worth. Our worth comes from God, not from our job. But once we are on that road of identifying ourselves or finding our identity in our work and our value therein, 
what happens is that we begin to make our work all about ourselves. It becomes all about you and I. And as we do that, then we keep God in the cage. We keep Him in a cage that we've built as work becomes an avenue for us to pursue our objectives and our agendas, our goals, and we forget about God and His plan for us. And as I try, then, to leverage my work for my purposes, for my own agenda, rather than for God's, things have a distinct potential to go off the rails. First of all, on personal levels, but also then on interpersonal levels, in our relationships with our coworkers, with our staffs, with our customers, with our clients. Personally, we see it go off the rails because now when my identity and worth is wrapped up in my job, if something happens to, to make me incompetent or to seem incompetent, to look incompetent, then that's a slight against my identity and my worth. And I take that personally. I get frustrated. I feel threatened. On the other side of the coin, if something happens and I look like a hero, well then, I feel satisfied and validated. And... As those two things play out in our lives, then we're tempted to do what it takes to eliminate the former and multiply the latter, to repeat the things that I like and to eliminate the things that I don't like, whatever means necessary, in whatever way that I can. And that makes for a really tumultuous ride in life. As my self-esteem roller coasters by virtue of my experience at work. Interpersonally, then, it's not hard to see how this leads to challenges, right? When my work is about my identity and worth, very quickly and often it becomes adversarial with those around me. Puts us in conflict. I'm the one that should look good. And if they don't, well, that's their issue. As long as I look good, that's what matters. And so we run into antagonism between ourselves, our coworkers, our customers, our clients, our bosses, our staff, what have you as we try and play that out. And that's not always overt. It's not like we're necessarily at war, fist-fighting our way through the day. It can be subtle, just in our, within ourselves. Sometimes it can be overt. I've seen that happen at work a few times. But oftentimes, it's in, inside of us. And the turmoil rages in there. But as we come to recognize that our identity today is not in what we do, but in Christ, 
we find the antidote to this. And we can begin to unleash God at work for ourselves and for others. Now, before we dive right into this whole idea of unleashing God at work, there's one more thing that I just want to take a moment to address this morning. And that's the whole idea of how we counsel our kids, our grandkids, with respect to school and work. So often I see this, and I recognize it even in myself, that flowing out of our perspective and our understanding of work, we counsel and coach our kids to achieve academically. Or so that they can go out and get good jobs. So we counsel them that you've got to perform, that you've got to achieve at school, or that you've got to do the right things so that you can go out and get a good job over here. And we channel them towards the things, the work that we see as valuable and worthwhile, those things that we hold in esteem, with esteem, and we coach them to pursue the things that we think are going to be significant for them and in the eyes of the world around us. And I appreciate this morning, I appreciate this morning that we want our kids to achieve all that they're capable of and to aspire to do good things in life and to have a good life. That's, that's fair, that's great. But what I'm saying this morning is that I think that we need to be really careful as it comes to this area as parents, as grandparents. Because so often, we default into this idea of what you do is who you are. We begin to, subconsciously even, Help them identify through their work. Help them derive their value and worth through their work. And then we set them up for failure in that. I think that we've got to be really careful when it comes to this because I think oftentimes that as we look out, we define the good life that we're trying to help them find financially if we really get down to it, if we really trace it out, we're saying that the good life comes through the cash. And I think that's wrong. And what's more? Maybe in our more carnal moments, we can also succumb to driving our identity and worth now through our kids as they go out and do what we hope for them, what we desire for them, as it's really now actually for myself. That I want them to be successful because that makes me look successful. I want my kids to be doctors because I'm then the parent of a doctor, and that's almost like being a doctor So I think we've got to be really, really careful. 
as we coach and as we raise our kids, that we're pointing them not in the direction that would derail them for life, looking for their identity and worth in the wrong areas. I think we're far wiser, far wiser to make it our objective to help our kids find God's plan for them. That we would coach them to do what God's calling them to do. To find the plan that he has for them rather than the plan that we have for them. And then as they do that, then that we would support them in that, whatever that is, going forward. All right. Those things said then, with that maybe foundation or what have you, preamble, let's turn now and look at this idea, more specifically, of unleashing God at work. And so if you would, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. We're going to begin there. This is right at the end of creation. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, let's look at John chapter 5, verse 17. Picking this up mid-story. In his defense, Jesus said to them, I'll let you go back and read the whole story. We don't have time to do that this morning. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. From the very outset then, as we come to this whole area, this topic of work, we need to recognize, we need to understand that work is divine. Now, we've talked about this a little bit before. Many of us, most of us, think automatically of forgiveness is divine. And a while ago we were talking about serving. We saw there that serving is also divine. This morning we need to understand that working is divine. That from the very outset God has been working. That he was working in creation. But that it didn't stop there either, as Jesus points out much later, years and years later, that that God is still working and Jesus is now also working. So we see that this is an attribute of God. Work is an attribute of God. So, in other words, it is in God's nature to work. All right? And as then we understand that we are created in the image of God, then we need to understand that we are also created with the nature to work. It's a part of our nature as well. So we see that as God Himself works. And as we see God work, 
then we also see, we also should recognize this morning that there is a nobility and a significance to work. Work is not menial. And having to work is not demeaning. It's in the very nature of God. And it's in our nature as well. So oftentimes, we see work as this necessary evil, don't we? We look at it cross-eyed. We're not excited about it at all. And we consider it something to be avoided. In the case of my kids, something to be avoided at almost all costs. I don't know if any of you have noticed that. I can say that. They're not here this morning. But we do. We, we consider it something to be avoided. Our society keeps pushing us towards the idea of a shorter work week. If we could just get to a four-day work week. If we could get to a three-day work week. Years ago, they thought we would be by now at a two-day work week. They promote and they try to propagate the idea of Freedom 55. That the sooner that we can be done work, the better off that we'll be. The implication being, the underlying point being, that work is undesirable. And that recreation should be our objective. That we should be driving and going as hard as we can to get to leisure rather than to pursue work. And it's fascinating to see that as we look at God, that's not the case. That's not what our objective should be. The work isn't demeaning. It's not to be avoided. Something that we can lean into. Because work is of Him. And what's more then, it's His plan also that you and I should work. That we should join Him in this area of work. And that's established a few verses before and after Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. We see it, first of all, in Genesis 1, 28. There it says, God blessed them and said to them, this is Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God comes along, and right from the very hop, he says to Adam and Eve, here's the plan, kids. Get out there and start and tend to all this. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and verse 15, we see it even a little bit more specifically. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So God places him very specifically in the garden. And in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, we find out. To work it and to take care of it. Not to kick back and relax. Not to put his feet up and just watch the butterflies go by. God intentionally puts him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. This morning, 
as we are called to work, we need to understand some things here now. Number one, as we see God calling us to work, intentionally putting us in that position, within the context of His creation, we need to understand, first of all, that all work is valuable. All work is valuable. Now, as we look at this passage, it has an overtone of agriculture and manual work. But it isn't to be limited to that. Just That was the context of that situation for Adam and Eve. Go out and do some gardening. But for you and I today, we need to understand that that applies to us in all the different areas of work that we find ourselves in. It applies to us whether we work in an office or in a shop, whether we work in a cubicle or in a classroom, whether we work indoors or we work outdoors, that we're supposed to go out and subdue it. And as we look at this term, subdue it, we, we, we should understand that as going out to bring whatever area that we're in under control. That we're to bring order to it. That we're to bring organization to it. That we're to steward it for good. So we're to subdue it. We're to harness it whatever that area is, whatever I do, for good. Use it for good. And so as we see this then, we need to also understand that there is therefore not a hierarchy of importance of work or for work. That all work is important as well. So, Doctors and riggers are the same. Mechanics and accountants are the same. Landscapers and teachers are the same in that all of their work is valuable the same. That's not to say that we want to have landscapers working at the hospital at least not in the surgery department. Right? It's important that we get the right people in the right places. But their work is the same. It's all valuable. Doesn't matter one over the other. Inherently, their work is valuable the same. We also need to notice that there is not a difference this morning in the work of ministry. Now, this is something that I find a lot, and I hear it a lot. And I think sometimes people are just trying to be polite. They don't know what else to say. Oh, you're a pastor. Woo, that's important work. <laughs> As they try and scramble and figure out, what, where, can, where, where can I go? How am I going to get out of the conversation with the pastor? I just found out he's a pastor. Right? But even in the church, even in church, well, I, I just work in the secular profession, the secular vocation. I, I'm not doing anything nearly as important as you are doing because you're working with souls. 
And that's just wrong. There's not, there's not more value in ministry, full-time vocation, than there is in a lay vocation. It's not true. And in fact, if we stop for a minute and we think about it, we see that just really in spades. Because as God is talking right here to Adam and Eve, the fall hasn't even happened yet. There, things haven't gone off the rails. There's no sin even to deal with. So he's calling them to work, and that work is important. He's not saying, hey, you know what? Go out and look after the garden. Take care of that. But I got some more important things for someone else to do. No, he starts us all off on the same, same level. Work is work, and work is important. There's no distinction. There's no difference. So this morning, as you go out and you work in your world, whatever that is, that's as important as what I'm doing right here. I don't care where God has placed you. Your work is, 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 is as inherently valuable as mine is, or anyone else in ministry. And so don't, don't ever think that it's not. Don't think for some reason that you're second rate or substandard in that, because you're not. And nor should I think that I'm better because I'm here, or any other of our staff, or any other person in ministry because we're not any better and what we're doing is not more important it's all important secondly this morning we need to understand as well that because work is valuable in and of itself then work is not simply then a means to an end okay and this is something significant as well that we need to wrap our heads around. We're not just working to get to something important. Okay, It's not just the means to an end. The work that we do itself is important and valuable. So it's not just an avenue to recreation. Work isn't just a means of income. And it's not just a vehicle for evangelism. You'll often hear this in churches today, that your work is there so that you can evangelize. Well, that might be true in the sense that it also is true that your work provides income and that some of your efforts at work allow you to do recreation. But that's not the purpose of work. That's an ancillary benefit to work, and I'll grant you that. But there's a a value in the work itself. It's not all about what it allows us to do or what it provides for us to do otherwise, beyond. And I think that we get a hint of that as we work. And you know when you've had a task or a job and you've done it and you step back and you look at it and you think to yourself now that was well now that's a good job right there 
And you get a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment and satisfaction in that. I think that's just a little, little tiny echo of when God stepped back and looked at his creation and said, no, that is good. No, that is good. And I don't care what you say right now. That's, that's good preaching, Doug. I learned that from Pastor Ta. Encourage yourself when no one else will. So true. When we do something well, and we know that it's done well, and we step back and, and we see that it's done well, then we get this little hint of the value of the significance of the inherent worth of work. So we can't just look at then it as work as this means to something else. Therefore, therefore, for these reasons, we can understand this morning that it now matters how we go about our work itself. Okay? So just taking everything else aside now, and we look at the work that we do, it matters how we do that work. All right? We want it to be done well. So listen, Colossians 3, verses 22 to 24, as Paul speaks into our world. He says, slaves, which again was the context there for ourselves today. We can all put ourselves in the place of the slave. It applies to us the same way. Anyone that finds themselves working in a job, what have you. It says, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So as we come along and we look at this whole idea of working, as Paul is calling us to do that as to God, then what does that mean exactly? Practically speaking, what does that mean as we work for God? As we serve God through our work? Well, eight things this morning, if you're taking notes. should have told you that earlier so you could leave some more room. Eight things really quickly. That we can, and there's, this is not an exhaustive list again, but eight things that really quickly this morning that we can understand that we are called to as we're called to work as though we are working for God, serving Him through our work. Number one, we are to engage in our work with enthusiasm and vigor. Oh, and already, right, we're going, ah, crap. What do you mean? Enthusiasm and vigor... That's not usually the words that I use when I think about going to work. Enthusiasm and vigor. Um, but I'm not saying it, just I'm not whistling Dixie. Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We're going to come back to the spiritual server part in a minute. Spiritual fervor part. 
So as we think about going to work, as we think about doing our job, we shouldn't be doing it begrudgingly. We shouldn't be doing it somehow negatively. We should be leaning in. That we should approach it with enthusiasm, with some vigor, a little bit of spring in our step. Because that's honoring to God. Number two, we are to be honest in our work. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, The Lord detests honest, dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with Him. Which is to say that we're not to cheat people. We're not to cheat our employers. We're not to cheat our customers, our clients. That we're to be honest in our work. So as we go about it, whatever that context is for you and I today, that we need to do it well. Do it honestly. Number three, we are to submit to our managers and bosses. 1 Timothy 6.1 All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Oh man. How does that land today for you and your world? What was the last thing that you said about your boss? We have to be full of respect. Full of respect. Number four. We are to treat staff and coworkers with kindness and respect. We've all been in that situation, right? Where buddy working next to us sucks up to the boss but treats everybody else like garbage. It can't be us. We're to respect the boss, but we're also to treat staff and co-workers with respect. Luke 6, 31 says, All who are under the yoke of slavery shouldn't consider their masters worthy of respect so that God's... Whoops, did I just do the same thing again? Oh, you did? You fixed the slide? There you go. Thank you very much. Janet's right now saying, hmm, I work for this nut bar. <laughs> there we go. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Thank you. So we've got we've to treat our coworkers and those even under us with respect. Treat them the way that we want to be treated. Day in, day out. Number five, we're to be ethical. Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 11. For you were once darkness. That's a sad statement. For you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. We were once in darkness, but as we come to know Jesus Christ, as we place our faith in Him, as we begin to live for Him, then now we're in the light and we have no longer any association with the darkness, which means that as we come into our jobs, then that we don't bring that darkness out. We bring out the light and we try and do everything that we can, including exposing darkness where it is around us. We've got to be ethical. 
in the way that we work. Again, for our employers and for those that we serve. Number six, we're to avoid complaining, whining, and grumbling. Philippians 2, verses 14 to 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Ooh, that's another one that's rough. I've got to do everything without complaining or grumbling. Yes, sir. Happy to do that job, sir. No problem with me, sir. Get right on that, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. So excited to be here today, ma'am. Right? Never whining. Never grumbling. Never complaining. Never arguing. Number seven. We're to keep from making work and our money our idols. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in our work that we make it all about the work. And it can't become all about the work. And we definitely can't be making it all about the cash. Work has to stay in its place. And we see that lastly as well in God's command to us that we are to rest from our work. Deuteronomy 5 verses 13 and 14 say, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, but the seventh day, sorry, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And then God, again, God is good to us. Comes along and he says, we're going to just put the brakes on for a day so that that helps us not to get so wrapped up in our work, so dependent on our work, so focused on our work that we forget to focus on him. We forget to depend on him. All these things are summed up, if you will, in Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, Paul says, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Doing it all in the name of the Lord means to do everything in recognition and according to the nature and character of God. So whatever we do, we're to do all in recognition and in accordance with the nature and character of God. And at this point then, followers of Jesus understand that work is now worship. Work is worship of our God. Where he's given us this opportunity day by day to bring ourselves in line with who he is, to bring him recognition by doing things according to his nature and his character. I want to just take a quick moment at this point to address another issue that I think so often comes up 
when we come to verses like Colossians 3.17. Because this is such a great area, such a good example of how we can get things twisted really quickly in our minds. As we hear that we're to do everything for God, I think that oftentimes you and I can come away offended by that. As we hear that we're supposed to do everything as unto Him, that we're supposed to do everything according to His character and His nature, and it's all about Him, we come away offended. We're wondering, like, why does this always have to be about Him? Why does this always have to be all on His terms? Why is it, why is it that nothing here is, is about me, addresses our needs or my concerns or my ideas or my thoughts? Yada, 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 yada. It's all about God. Right? And I have this little pity party, a little tantrum in my mind. And I start to conjure up all the excuses. Well, it must be because he's a megalomaniac or he's, a, he's just egotistical. And I put up a barrier. I put up a hurdle between myself and God. And at best, I then I go about it begrudgingly somehow because I can't argue somehow with God. But I want to argue with God. And I question him. So this can really rub us the wrong way if we don't understand it. And I think here we get a really good example or opportunity to understand really what's going on here. As we come to work, and frankly, everything else, as we come to this whole area of work, it's only as we keep Christ in view that this begins to work at all. All right? It's only as we keep Christ in view, that this doesn't go off the rails and derail back into all about me. Because that's my nature. That's the carnality that I fight day by day. And so it's not a question of God saying, hey, this is all about me, you've got to do it about me, because he's on some kind of ego trip. That's garbage. He's not. What he's doing is he's saying, hey, This is all about me. This is the standard because if you don't use me as the standard, it's going to derail and it's going to fail bad. And that's going to go really wrong for you. So it's not about his ego at all. It's about his benevolence and his goodness to us. And so as we understand that all things are from God and by God and for God, then we understand that what he's doing is he's setting out for us the only way that this is ever going to work because otherwise it's going to degenerate into absolute chaos and a nightmare for all of us as we use ourselves as the standard as we use ourselves as the benchmark as i use my agenda as the agenda in life so as we come to this here we see that god sets us him, sets himself up as the standard so that it goes well for us and it goes well for those we work with and it goes well for those that we work for and it goes well for those that we serve through our work because otherwise we'll be abusing and hurting everyone else around us, exploiting everyone to our own detriment and everyone else's. This morning, as we close, as we unleash God in our approach to work and in our work, we are taking the long view. We're starting to see things as God sees things. 
And as we do that, then we begin to fulfill the image of him that we're created in. And as we do that, we bring about his goodness in our world at large. And as we do that, we also facilitate the benefits that go with that in our own lives and in the lives of others. That's our theology of work. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Father, this morning again, I pray that you would help us to unleash you at work, Lord, and that as we do, that we would derive and experience the benefits that come with that, both for ourselves and for the world around us. Lord, again, we live in this dark world. We have this opportunity now to bring light to it through work as we understand it from your perspective, what you've created it for, the benefit in it for all of us, the significance of it for everyone. Lord, help us not to find our value there. Help us to understand again that our value comes from you and you alone, that our identity, that we should identify as yours, not through what we do, but God, help us to leverage now our work in such a way that we would point out what it really is, what it's all about, and that then you would use that in us to redeem this creation of yours till one day you complete that process in its entirety. For we ask this now in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming. Go out and enjoy that nice weather. Hopefully not the snow that's coming. We'll see you next week.